Welcome to the Band of History. Today we have assembled a roundtable to discuss the 50th anniversary reissue of Cahoots, the band's fourth studio album that was remixed by engineer, mixer, and producer Bob Clearmountain, who has worked on the previous 50th anniversary re-releases from the band. Today we are joined by guests that include the Manual Archives' Brianna McCann and music journalist Allison Rapp. We talk the merits of the reissue, the track listing, and all of the bonus features. Enjoy. What is our general kind of relationship with Cahoots as an album? Uh, before we jump into the remix, do we like this album? Do we dislike this album? It's the fourth studio album by the band, Sometimes Forgotten. We're getting into that part in the band's kind of catalog where it's kind of shoved in. Generally, how do we feel about this? Why don't Why don't we start with you, Allison? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely agree with what you just said about it kind of being like shoved in the middle of a whole lot of other things going on. Um, and I think for me personally, you know, I've always been a really big, I, I tend to think of these things like in the context of whatever like specific year it gets put out in or released in. Um, and so for me, I've always been really like deeply involved in a lot of the singer songwriter albums that were coming out in that year, you know, things like Blue and Tapestry and like that whole movement. And so for me, Cahoots is like what I will put on when I want to hear like the opposite of that, essentially, you know, this like crazy full insane band endeavor just the total opposite of that really like specific um personal singer songwriter world um when i just want to hear like a band do their thing and jam out like cahoots is definitely something that i would go for so that's always been kind of how i viewed it um but i agree it can definitely kind of get lost in the mix of the rest of you know the early 1970s is just an insane it was hard to keep up with a lot of what was going on in those couple of years Allison, for you, what's your general relationship like with the band? We've had Brianna on the show before, so the audience might know a little bit. But for you, was there a particular moment you remember hearing the band? You you mentioned a lot of singer songwriters, and like they weren't that, but they are very much in the same world around folks. Obviously, Dylan, Joni, you know, right? Kind of rubbing shoulders with those people, like already. Yeah, I definitely think that was kind of how I ended up falling into it. I mean, I can definitely remember my dad having a couple of band records growing up and, you know, listening to things like that. But I think I definitely found my way like via Dylan, via Joni and that kind of way, and, like working my way backwards almost. Um, and I, I think that, you know, for me, I had this kind of like funny thought where I was like, oh, well, if Dylan trusts them so much, you know, <laughs> then like they've got to be this cool band. And that was kind of how I got into it. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, I just, once you fall down the rabbit hole, you kind of end up finding all sorts of different things. So that's how I got into it. No, that's awesome. Now, Brianna, you have been a pretty vocal supporter of Cahoots in its original form, which historically one of the things that has been a detriment to it is the production quality, the engineering and the mixing of the album itself. Um, It's a little rough around the edges. So I think some people discredit it. What's it about Cahoots for you that makes you such a fan of the album, especially when it's coming off the heels of, you know, music from Big Pink and the Brown album and even Stage Fright? It's, it's, you know, it's a trifecta run and Cahoots kind of for a lot of people is when they hit that wall. There's a lot of good stuff there. What, what is it for you that makes it such a special album? 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. And I think you kind of hit it on the head with the fact that people see this trifecta and then they feel like it hit a wall. And I was really nervous the first time I went in listening to Cahoots. I was like, okay, you know, I've loved these first three albums so much. And I'm like, it's got to get bad at some point. And I didn't think it did. Like The first time I listened to Cahoots for like a week afterwards, I'm like, this is it. This is my favorite band album. And I think it's just the fact that, you know, kind of like Allison said, that she's very contextual in the sense of, okay, what else came out in that year? I like to look at albums kind of in, okay, like what's what's going on in the personal you know, like relationship and dynamic at the time. And, you know, I've written a piece about Cahoots and kind of talked about that. But I think it's fascinating because if you kind of look at at music from Big Pink and the Brown album as, you know, okay, the band saying this is who we are, this is what we believe. Stage Fright, it was kind of the next part in that narrative where they're kind of coming to grips with their sudden fame. I think Cahoots, it reflects, you know, their situation in the exact same way and to the exact same extent that the first three do. And, you know, I kind of, I don't know what this says about me, but I kind of like the fact that it feels a little rough around the edges and it feels a little, you know, everybody feels more distant from each other. And I think it's just a fascinating encapsulation of like the relationship that they had at that point, not only among each other, but kind of with themselves and with their music. Um, I just I think it's an interesting kind of capsule in that way. Yeah, I think it's there's always this kind of duality going on where people want their artists that they like to remain the same. And every time they change this like pushback, but then at the same time, you have like bands that people complain about like ACDC who have, you know, essentially made the same album for the last 40 years, which is awesome. Like they know what they're good at and they'll usually put out an album and there'll be a, a couple really, really great tracks. And, you know, it's going to be like a three chord blues based hard rock song. Um, and there's merit in that as well. With Cahoots, like we'll put production aside. It is a change. Like you mentioned, like Stage Fright was a departure and Cahoots is a further departure. And you can point to a few different things. You now have Robertson having credit on pretty much every single song on the album, except for the opener, Life is a Carnival. And I guess, you know, Van Morrison gets a co-write on Pantomime. So there's that kind of starting to live their own separate lives for the first time. You see a lot of like parallels with a lot of other bands, I think, in the sense of the early 70s bands that kind of grew up in the late 60s. You know, they're not 20 year olds anymore or they're kind of getting to that next stage in life. They have their families, they have their own separate lives. I, I see a lot of parallels after watching Get Back, for example. You know, so what do you guys think about that? Do you think that has an effect on the music? Now, it's only been like three years, four years. It's a very condensed period of time, but those years have seemed to make a difference album to album. Do you, can you point to one specific thing you think that really kind of shifted that sound or is it kind of like a culmination in a bunch of different things? I don't know if it's something specific, but I definitely agree with what you said. Like, I almost feel like the shorter of an amount of time that you have and like the more intense those years are, the worse it will not worse, but you know, like the more intense of a result it becomes, um, you know, like that didn't happen with the Rolling Stones because the Rolling Stones have had 50 years to like deal with that. Whereas like you just said, you know, I was thinking something similar that to me, this is almost like the band's get back scenario sort of where it's really clear that not everyone is on the same page. I mean, it's just so like physically and emotionally and like auditorially palpable. Um, 
but there's still this like underspoken, like underlying um, idea of like, okay, we just got to get this damn thing done anyway. Like it's just got to get done. Um, and like Brianna was saying, you know, like they're wrestling a lot with those interpersonal relationships, not only like amongst the band members, but amongst themselves. Um, and that's a really complicated position to be in. And I don't think that that happens overnight. I mean, it can't happen overnight. No, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And back then too, you had these like 10 album record contracts. So you had to pump out something every year. Nowadays, some artists do that, but like you usually have a few years between albums. Like look at Adele's recent effort. Like she puts a few years between every effort. That way you can really kind of relax, figure out what you want to do next, regroup and go. These guys were just like pumping out an album a year and you got to hit some sort of wall personally, musically, sonically like you know there's only so much inspiration before you have to recharge not to mention all the other things like drugs and everything like that now it's 50 years since the original the band has made it kind of a tradition as of late to kind of come back and not just the band the stones the beatles they're doing these reissues with remixes and we have engineer mixer and record producer bob clear mountain back in the seat leading this re-release he has been involved since they started doing it with music from Big Pink. Uh, so this is his fourth time back. He's worked with the Stones. He's worked with Bruce Springsteen, um, Bon Jovi. He's, you know, one of the masters uh, in the business. And how have we kind of viewed his previous efforts? Maybe I'll start with you, Brianna. Like, it's been mixed for some people. Generally, I will say I've been a fan of what he's done um, up until this point. Uh, Clear Mountain has a hard job a lot of times. He's not going to please everybody. But how have you viewed his previous attempts with uh, with the other albums in the band's discography? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think you hit it on the head that it's it's kind of hard to please everybody. You know, there's something to be said for you know, you want the remaster, but then whenever, you know, it's, it's wildly different. You're like, well, not that, you know, I wanted it, but not that. I think on the whole, I've, I've liked it, you know, again, kind of like you said, up, up until this point, like I've enjoyed what he's done. You know, I think I was thinking about this whenever you sent the questions that I think I listened to his version of sleeping more than I listened to like the original version, things like that, that some of them are really, really clean. Like I like what he has done on the whole. And I think it, it breathes some good new life. Uh, into some of these band songs that were really good to begin with, obviously. Mm -hmm. How about you, Allison? In terms of, have you listened much to the Clear Mountain remixes that he's previously done? Um, it can be tough sometimes too. You sometimes have to A, B the thing. Like you have to kind of play both back to back to see sometimes. But what's your what's your opinion on what he's done uh, recently? You know, for me, I, I've been thinking a lot recently just about this idea that like Robbie clearly seems to have this really, really intense layer of trust with him. Um, and I think that's extremely important. I don't think everybody always has that with people who like remix and remaster their albums. Um, it's really clear, you know, I've read Robbie talking about how he just basically said, like, you need to pretend like those old tracks are just the demos and like go with that. Um, which is a really intimidating, like you said, you know, he's got a really hard job to be able to take something like that and just completely rework it. I do think, you know, there's a clarity to it now that I really like, and it's really nice to listen to. Um, a lot of those vocal harmonies sound really lovely to me. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's also interesting too that Robbie is really the only one we have left to kind of be at the helm of these projects. And we're really kind of getting it through 
Robbie's point of view and his lens. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing all of the time, but it's just an interesting like point to the whole project. Um, this is kind of like cahoots, Robbie's version or something, you know? How do we feel about that? Not to divert too much, but one of the things that I've wrestled with and I've talked about a little bit and people, you know, it's really hard online at least to talk about it without it just devolving into like, oh, you're just a Robbie hater or it becomes like this Robbie Levon thing. It's not really about that. But the the thing I grapple with sometimes is a lot of other bands. Let's let's use the Beatles again, for example, when they go back and do a remaster or resequencing like Paul McCartney did with Let It Be Naked, uh, there is at least an effort to include others so obviously Ringo's still alive so Ringo's involved at least giving a sign off but then they go to the estates Olivia Harrison uh, Yoko Ono and they get sign off as well in the case of the band there really hasn't been much of that at all um the one thing you kind of see sometimes is like yeah we tried to reach out to Garth and he wasn't interested I don't know how actually true that might be or might not be I can't really speculate on that but there are still family of the other band members still around and at least the token maybe should be extended. Do you agree with that? Do you think it gives at least a more authentic kind of stamp on a project like this? Or are we just generally okay with Robbie kind of doing what he's doing with these? It makes sense. I almost feel like maybe on the flip side of that, the other people are kind of like, you know what, just let him do whatever. Like as long as he's not completely and utterly ruining things, like, what's the harm really? But, you know, also what would be the harm in extended, like you said, you know, they do talk to the estates of George and, 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 you know, John. So I don't really know what the harm would be in that unless there's some sort of other like deeper feud that we're not necessarily aware of. I'm not too sure if the relationship with everybody is overly cordial or like, even if they talk that much, but yeah, there just generally seems to be the narrative. And there always has been that like, at least at this point, Robbie believes and thinks that he is the driving force behind behind everything. And I don't know if he necessarily thinks he needs to ask permission from anybody. Um, but I think that's what makes the first two albums so special, that collaboration. That's why those albums stand up, because of the collaborative nature of it. But before we move on, Brianna, I want to give you a chance to speak on that. What what do you think about the the whole thing about, you know, reaching out to the estates or at least making an effort. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, honestly, completely with with what Allison said, that there might be just some level of, essentially, he's probably going to do what he wants to do anyways. So, you know, what would, you know, what would be the point in stepping in? But at the same time, it's, it's probably the right thing to do. Um, you know, especially because you have this whole concept of, oh, they were my brothers. Well, there are still some people around that you could, you could talk to, to, to get some sign off on that. Um, but, you know, again, like you said, it, it's hard to say anything either way about that because the minute you say anything somebody's going to jump in and say well you're just anti-robbie it's like well Mm -hmm. maybe it's not that it might just be the right thing to do to try and make it more more of an inclusive process all right so let's let's jump into the overall remix then first of all like i have a question here how does it compare to the original but i think just on a very general sense when we put it on first of all how did we listen to it like, did we listen to it with headphones? Did we like play it out of a speaker? Like, how did we, did we get the vinyl and did we throw it on the record player? Um, and what was just your overall feeling, gut feeling after that first listen? I'll start with, I'll start with Allison. Um, I put it on speakers first and then literally after the first song, I was like, never mind, this is a bad idea. Like I have to put headphones on for this. Um, so then I did headphones instead. And, you know, I mean, I guess my, my, I like it. Like I, I do like it. Um, I'm not going to say that I don't. 
Um, I, I'm sensing that there's a question coming up about the drum machine dilemma and all of that. So we can talk about that a little later, but I, for one, you know, the first listen, the first listen, I was not aware of the whole drum machine thing and I was just kind of going through it. Um, and I liked it, you know, I, I really thought, like I said, the vocal harmonies were coming really clear out to me and I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, and my first impressions were overall, you know, pretty good considering, as you say, you know, the kind of rough around the edges quality of, of the original. Right. How about you, Brianna? Yeah, I agree that the first time I listened to it, I didn't know about the the drum machine conundrum. Um, something sounded a, like a little bit different in that way. And then once I knew, I was like, ah, yes, that's it. But, you know, I listened to it from speakers just from my computer um, and I liked it. Like the first time through, I was like, OK, like this is is really, really great. Like I was excited to hear the way that they had, you know, kind of breathed new life into these songs that got an unfair rap probably because of the production. I think the only one that right off the bat, I was maybe a little like, ah, was um, Shootout in Chinatown, which I know I I like messaged you immediately about that, Tyrell, because I see, it feels like they lost some of the harmonies in the chorus uh, that I thought made it really good, but they also did some other really interesting things with it. So I think that was the only one that I, you know, right off the bat was like, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but the rest of it, I was like, okay, no, this is something really good. I, I want to ask how you guys listen to it because I think that's important. Um, so for me, I was just, I had played a gig. I was out playing my own gig and it, I, I had come home from the bar. It was like 1230. I need to go to bed. But I was like, okay, I got to at least listen to a few tracks here. So I just put it on my phone. I have an iPhone 13 Pro Max just for the specs for the speakers. Like it's a decent speaker out of the phone. It's not great. Um, and I was like, okay, this is... It's all right. You know, this is okay. I go to bed. I wake up the next morning. I listen to it on AirPods because I took I took the subway. I put it on AirPods. I was like, so you start to hear a few things. I started hearing the 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 um, echo uh, reverb on the vocal, and I was like, okay, let me let me simmer in that. I generally liked it though. I told you, Brian. I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, I came home and I started listening to it. I listened to it on a Sono speaker, two Sono speakers just out in the living room, like let it really breathe. And then I put on a pair of studio cans again and listened to it. And I will say it listens better in like prosumer slash consumer headphones, which makes sense. Like it sounded best in my AirPods. Uh, it did not sound good on the Sonos at all. And it was okay in parts with a pair of studio headphones. Um, I immediately recognized the drum issue. It didn't really set into for me a little bit until later. Um, and for some context there for folks that don't know. So Bob Clearmountain has been a massive proponent of drum sampling. And what he does is you will record a track of drums and you will blend drum samples in with it to you know punch it up a lot of times. I do it in my own music. Most music you listen to will have it. Some people are purists and don't like it. I have an issue with it because Levon's drum sound is uh, very particular. It has a very specific sound, and I think you lose that here. And uh, we we can break into that a little bit later. But after the overall listen, do we like it better than the original? Do we not like it? Like, how does it compare? Like, fidelity aside, obviously, there's some things that are just improvements. You can't argue that. But 
if we're if we think we're going to go back in two weeks and and pull cahoots up again, are we listening to the original or are we listening to uh, the new remix version? I'd probably listen to the original, just like for you know posterity's sake. Really, I mean, like you said, the for audio quality purposes, you know, if I if I really need something like that, then perhaps I will. But I think I'm just putting the record on. I don't really see any reason to put the remix one on. Interesting. How about you, Brianna? Yeah, I honestly completely agree. Uh, you know, I fell in love with Cahoots and it's it's rough shot in form. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still that's still the version that I love. You know, again, kind of like Allison said, if I really want to hear, you know, some of it's just so clear that maybe sometimes, you know, I want to listen to a version where, you know, you can hear like Richard really clearly. Right. Sure. But I think on the whole, if I'm just picking one to listen to, it's going to be the original. People don't listen to Cahoots for the audio quality. You know what I mean? Like It's not one of those kind of records, I feel like. <laughs> That's a very good point because you can even point back to the choice, the very deliberate choice they made on the first two albums to record without baffles, to record together. It They didn't necessarily care about the sonic quality, but more the lived in quality of the record, feeling like it was on your back porch on like a hot summer day or something like that. I am interested to hear what it sounds like on vinyl. Mine hasn't arrived yet. Um Brianna, you also got the vinyl and you got the deluxe set. So you're going to get the 5.1 surround sound blu-ray as well i don't know if you have a surround system but i know clear mountain does the surround because he loves it that's what he listens to so i'm interested to see if he made certain choices for the 5.1 uh not that he should be but because nobody's really listening to it like that but are you interested in what it's going to sound like and do you think it's going to be much different than what you're hearing like say just throwing it on spotify yeah that's a good question i am excited to hear it you know any any version i can hear cahoots in, i'm happy to do it um it will be interesting to hear kind of some of those little subtle differences you know that might might be between the 5.1 and you know just kind of what he's done already because you know certainly on spotify like if it's just through your computer speaker you're not getting the same experience um as you would even like in a surround sound kind of system so definitely excited to, to hear Cahoots in yet another version. I think there'll maybe be a little bit more warmth to it, you know, because vinyl tends to do that a little bit more. Can I ask well, a question about the drum thing real quick? Just yeah. you, maybe you guys know this. Maybe you know this. Uh, like, where does that affinity for the drum sampling uh, like come from? Like, do we have any idea why that tends to be his like modus operandi? Or is that just like how he's always done things? You know, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a definitive answer. Um, oftentimes you're recording drums and you know you could really record drums with a decent set of microphones you're not going to have to go out and really spend a lot of money and time to mic it up and then at least you basically have kind of the skeleton and then you bring it into your pro tools and you can really fill it out if you want your drums to sound like a bonham drum set you can do that if you want to sound like ginger baker or like ringo star or even leave on helm you could you could do that. The AI is so powerful now that it can even pick up on how hard you're hitting that drum and match that and then put the sample in there. And then you blend the two. So it has at least the feel of the original drummer with the sound of the sample, which gives you a little bit more dexterity in 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 the recording process. Somebody's probably going to yell at me. There's probably some more time. I'm not the most technical Uh, when it comes to this. It's been controversial always, especially when it comes to rock music, because there's this whole thing that has to be completely authentic and real and lived in, you know? So yeah, it's 
the drum sampling and the reverb on the vocal with the reverb on the vocal. How do we feel about this? I feel like the reverbs used a lot throughout this album. I was okay with it on certain numbers, but pantomime, for example, I don't think that the vocal reverb should have been used. Like that is supposed to be a song. My wife said it to me and she's right. Pantomime is supposed to sound like shit. It's supposed to be, and it was, it's guys getting drunk in the studio and like singing about it. It's supposed to be rough around the edges and we're going in and cleaning it up in a way that I think does a disservice to the song. But what do you guys think about this whole reverb vocal thing throughout the album? I'll start with Allison. I mean, I guess my immediate thought is just like, it, it, at least there's consistency, like through the whole thing, you know, if if nothing else. Um, I think you're absolutely right, though. It definitely doesn't necessarily need to apply on all of the tracks. But if nothing else, at least you have that continuous flow through the whole thing. Um, which is why, you know, like, then that just brings up the whole topic of like, whether or not Cahoots was like, necessarily the best choice to be doing for like a remix remastering like project to begin with. Um, I almost would have rather have had like some sort of like really in insane crazy extensive box set with just like nothing but outtakes like raw total outtakes um that's not my job I don't get paid to do that so you know that that is what it is but I I agree with you I don't I don't know the the reverb through the whole thing it it's it, it settles in after a while mm -hmm. you're right I think you should be paid to do it because I think that uh that strategy would be better that, yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you Brianna like what reverb on these vocals like you know you love this album this is a very big change. Is it something that you like or don't like? Or are you okay with it? Like, is it okay in pieces? You know, if you ask me that again in like an hour, the answer might change. Um, it's it's still very fresh. Uh, but I think, you know, again, to Allison's point, at least it's consistent. Like it, it, in the way that the original Cahoots is consistent and kind of being rough, at least this one's consistent and being, you know, very clean. But I think that was kind of my biggest problem, and especially 4% Pantomime. That was the one that I was so excited to hear because that's, you know, that's that's very near and dear to my heart. And I liked the fact that the vocals were very clear. You know, like you can hear Richard, you can hear Van as if, literally as if they're in the room. I mm -hmm. think that's awesome. But at the same time, it did take away some of that authenticity. You know, part of what makes that song so great is that it's these two guys that are plastered giving a performance better than most people could give sober. And you take away some of that authenticity and some of the wonder of that incredible performance whenever you make it too clean. Um, and I think that's my biggest critique. And I don't even necessarily know that it's a critique because I didn't dislike it. Uh, it's just, it's different. It's like apples and oranges. I took some very rough notes and these are notes I put down when I listened to it for the first time, first time through. If we're looking at some of the songs, Last of the Blacksmiths, which I think was in a big need of a remix because it's a song that maybe could have fit on the first two albums. Um, and it's a great Richard vocal that sounds really terrible on the original. It sounds like he's in a washroom, like 20 feet down the hall. Um, I think we fixed a lot of that, but then we added the reverb, which was strange. Robbie's guitar is a little bit more punchy, which is interesting. Pantomime. I think Rick's bass sound was really elevated. I think the bass is very bass forward in a lot of these mixes, which is an interesting choice. Um, Chinatown, which we can talk about maybe a little bit more in detail. The intro is very different and they got rid of the chorus harmonies, which I think is probably the best part of the song in a rather 
problematic song. Uh, Volcano is, I think, one of the places where we see the worst of the drum sampling, and it's really bad there. Um, but Danko's chorus vocals are good. They also kind of screwed with the saxophone. I think they double tracked it. Like it was kind of sounded weird. My scattered notes here. Maybe we can we can pick one. Let's let's talk about Chinatown. Maybe the intro is very different. I don't really understand what's going on there. Kind of kitschy, if that's the right word. Terrible, like air quote Chinese intro that Robbie used to do was kind of cringy. Um, I don't know if this is trying to like change it to try to make it more passable, but like, what did we think of Chinatown? And we can also give our opinions on the original shootout in Chinatown as well. Maybe Allison, like what, <laughs> what do you think about that song in, in, in its original form, let alone it's like remixed state yeah i had it on again this morning and i I sort of i was like doing my makeup in the mirror or whatever and i was like you know what i really don't like this song <laughs> like just generally speaking like i'm really not a fan of this song and i think especially like where it is in the track listening to the album what, what like once it gets down there i'm like okay like let's keep moving or whatever um so yeah that really didn't that really didn't do anything for me at all but the original doesn't either so yeah. i'm sorry to say that how about how about you, Brianna? You messaged me like you said. You're like shootout. It's like, like what what's your opinion on this? I'm 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 looking forward to hear, hearing what you have to say. Yeah, so the, you know, shootout in Chinatown and its its original version. Um, I don't I don't dislike it. I have to like always add the disclaimer that it's it doesn't age well, like at all. And I don't pretend like it does, but like if it had different words, I think it could be really great because the the like rhythm is very good. Um, the harmony that they do in the chorus is why I listen to that song, like a really unreasonable amount um, because it's great. But I honestly think, you know, I agree. I think part of changing the intro like they did was to try and make it like more passable. But in fact, I think it made it more cringy. I think it honestly is worse. Um, and then again, like you mentioned earlier too, like the harmony in the chorus is the best part of the song. And all of a sudden, like, you're not hearing harmony. You're only really hearing Levon, which is great. You know, love Levon. But that's, you know, taking away maybe the one really redeeming part uh, of a song that, you know, maybe doesn't age as well as it could. And, and this, this is a balancing act. And this is where you can't please everybody. The vocal clarity and separation, because one of the things you'll notice on these tracks is it's less dense. It, there's more separation. The vocals, to get that separation and clarity, you're compressing the shit out of them. When I listened in like an open air room, it sounded very weird. Like Rick, uh, Rick's vocals on um, Where Do We Go From Here, I think, and even uh, Thinking Out Loud, they just sit so far forward that it doesn't sit in the mix anymore. And I think you'd talk to a lot of vocalists and they'd agree. Clarity is good. But clarity to the point where you can le like legitimately hear like everything isn't what a like a vocalist wants. You have to have a little bit of a like I'm I'm recording in a 58. This is what a lot of people just use on stage. It's not the clearest mic, but it gives the voice a little bit of character. It's kind of like the film versus digital debate. It's kind of like that, and I think that kind of sticks out so when you start doing things to the harmonies and stuff i think it then becomes extremely blatant and with that compression you if you listen to it you lose a lot of the low end of uh levon's voice and he starts kind of sounding like i don't know this is probably going to sound a little insulting he starts sounding frog-like 
It's a lot of highs and mids. And like Levon's got this awesome voice because it's got this rich low end to it. And I think that kind of starts getting a little strange. Let's also talk about the Moonstruck one, if if you'll indulge me here. Uh, this song I was interested in because obviously Richard sings it. He's an amazing vocalist, but it's probably has some of the worst lyrics I've ever heard in my life. Uh, it's like some of the cringiest, most juvenilely bad lyrics, like Billy getting bit by a snake and he got hurt real bad down by the lake. Like it's just not, it's not good. Do we think the, at least the kind of sonic quality improvement of Moonstruck One on this saves that kind of lyrical nightmare or... Are we still thinking the song sucks? Or maybe you guys like this song. I don't know. I'm making assumptions. How about what about you, Allison? I, I do like this song. I do like this song. Um, but honestly, like what you just described about having this sort of like really intense clarity at the front is probably mm-hmm. the whole reason why even when I like started the record from the top, you know, Life is a Carnival, I was like, where I had it on my like little Bluetooth speaker or whatever. And I was like, mm-hmm. where's the bottom half of the song? <laughs> That's why I put the headphones on. Um so by the time you get to the end of the record and by the time you get to those like later on tracks, um, you know, again, with headphones on, I thought it was a really enjoyable listen. I don't know if it quote unquote saves the lyrical integrity, um, but I'm not sure, at least for me, I'm not sure I'm paying that close of attention to it at that point. But like, that's just how I've been listening to the record all this time. Um, so, yeah. How about how about you, Brianna? Well, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about your opinion on Moonstruck One. What do you think about this song? Oh boy. I you know, I think I also like it too. You know, the first time I liked Cahoots, I have a little film or not film journal. I have a little album journal. Sure. The very first time I listened to Cahoots, I wrote, "Wow, the Moonstruck one is the most depressing song ever for no good reason." <laughs> and I still stand by that. So like I don't listen to it a lot, but it's not because I dislike it. It's because, you know, it's a vibe killer. Hmm. But you're right. Like the the lyrics aren't great, but I think what makes it a really compelling entry is Richard Manuel. I mean, the way he sings that is, you know, you would believe that this had happened to him at some point in his life. And I think, you know, maybe the the biggest complaint I have with the original 1971 Cahoots is the fact that because some of that production isn't great, you know, Richard gets robbed of this album being something that is really like one of his greatest triumphs because a lot of his vocals on that album are incredible. And I will say for the Clear Mountain mixes, I like the fact that you really get to hear that clearly. Like, I think, you know, obviously I'm biased. I think Richard's a great vocalist, but I think that Cahoots, the remixes, really let that shine. And I think the Moonstruck one is is maybe the best example of that in the remixes. Great point. Now I feel like an like an asshole because I just totally lambast the song and you guys actually like it. No, it's 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 interesting. I just, you know when he refers to them as uh, the three people as a triangle, I just kind of cringe a little bit. Um, it is weird. It is weird. Yeah. I it's mean, like, totally that. it is weird. It's some weird poetry, you know, <laughs> like it's very strange. Um, we should also talk about, I, there's more to this album than just the remix, but endless highway is an interesting song because it was a song that they had workshopped with different vocals different arrangements and it never really made it onto the album clear mountain took a stab at it for this album it's a killer track i think i don't know if what you guys think but i think it's an album worthy track i actually think it's probably one of the best tracks on cahoots overall um do we agree do we disagree I, you know, no 
know, I, I, I think it's definitely worthy of being included, especially, you know, all of these things, I think viewed in context, it's one thing to pull them out and to discuss them, you know, like individually. Um, and you can get really nitty gritty with that kind of thing. But I think what I particularly have been looking for in this reissue, especially is just like the, the full body of work and how everything is stacking up next to one another. Um, so I think I, I agree with you, definitely a worthy inclusion. How about you, Brianna? What do you think of this one? Or or any of the other kind of, even Don't Do It, which they've also struggled with before, making a studio version. Uh, are they working better now? Did Clear Mountain make an improvement? Are you just kind of, you know, mom about the point? What do you think about the, the remixes of those? Yeah, so taking Endless Highway first, um, you know, again, I'm biased. I mean, I think that that would be a great album track because I think, again, that that's, that's one of Richard's great vocals, especially because, you know, the demo is him and then it goes on to, to more so become a Rick song. Uh, but I think that that's a great inclusion. And I think the remix of it is really nice. Uh, again, you know, I think Clear Mountain did a good job with Richard's vocals in particular. Um, don't do it. I did think that that you know, the, the remix of that was pretty killer. I thought that was pretty good. I, I still think it's hard to beat the energy of any of their live performances of it, because I mean, that's one that you just kind of need that energy for. Um, but as far as studio takes of it go, I do think the Clear Mountain remix of it was, was pretty good. I thought it was pretty killer. Before we move on to some other general questions about the album, do we have a favorite track? Now that we've listened to it, do we have a favorite track or something that sticks out? I know I skipped Life is a Carnival and when I paint my masterpiece, I think those songs were actually okay mix-wise on the original, so I didn't see necessarily a big improvement. Maybe that's just me, but did we have any standouts? I'll, I'll start with Allison again. Was there anything that really stood out for you? I mean, if we're talking about the remixes specifically, I'm I'm going to bring it back to 4% Pantomime just for the, like, the novelty effect of like being able to hear that track entirely differently. I don't... I mean, there's nothing else like that. So I think for me, if we're talking about just like brand new stuff, stuff that I'm really impressed by, it would definitely be that one. Awesome. How about you, Brianna? Yeah, 4% Pantomime would have been my initial pick too, just because again, it is like, it feels like a completely different way to hear it. Um, but you know, if I had to pick something else, I, I was really kind of struck by Last of the Blacksmiths. I think that's a, a really great song that kind of gets overlooked. But I mean, another one that gets even more overlooked, River Hymn. And that sounded, I think, incredible in the remaster. River Hymn is a victim of being the last track on an album that people don't listen to. It's probably the song. If I had to pick any other song to add to music from Big Pink and it would fit in, it'd probably be the River Hymn, just because it follows that kind of general vibe of that first album. Uh, I love that. It's a standout for me. I was really looking forward to it. And I also really enjoyed um, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, I think this is a very potent Rick Danko vocal. I like the original. Um, some of the lyrics are a little clunky, but I can get over that because I think, you know, while there's a lot of compression on the vocal and stuff, I think hearing Rick's voice like this and seeing the little cadences and like, the, you know, the delivery of the line uh, was important. And also maybe because Rick Danko... Uh, the, the the album was released on the anniversary of his uh, of his passing, so maybe I was I was thinking about uh, him in particular, but I, I really like that. Now, let's go into some of the extras here. So we we touched on some of the extras. Take one and two of pantomime. There's an alternative take of when I paint my masterpiece, endless highway. 
there's Bessie Smith, which I don't really feel like they actually updated at all from the original. I think it's just because there was another remix in 2001. I think this is just they've just put it on again. So it's kind of lazy of them. Uh, But then we have the 71 show from Olympia in Paris. Uh, Some people were critical because on the 71, we also got uh, or sorry, on stage fright, we also got another show from 71. So it's like, can we get maybe something else? The sonic quality of it isn't great, but it was originally a bootleg. So, uh, you know, you can't really, there's only so much you can do. Did we listen much to the live stuff? Did we like it? Uh, what did we think? Um, I think I listened to almost all of it. I might've missed like uh, the last couple of tracks. And, you know, I'm usually the person who's always like, give me more, give me all of it or whatever, you know, like I want all the material. But I, I mean... I don't know. And I also listened to the whole, I had the whole deluxe thing on start to finish. So it ended with, you know, like whatever that last track is. And then it went straight into the bootleg. And I was like, this is, this is weird. Um, And, you know, just going back to what I said earlier, I almost, I just wish this box set had been organized a little bit differently. I wish it had just been a whole different thing entirely. Honestly, it does feel a little bit additive. It feels sort of like, oh, well, we don't really have a second half to this box set. So we might as well like include a bootleg in it. Um, I'm definitely going to get in trouble for saying that. But I don't know. I just wish that it had been set up a little bit differently. I liked it. It was fun to listen to, but it wasn't necessarily it was kind of something I had on like in the background. Yeah, you know, I I listened to the to the live tracks as well. and, And, you know, I thought they were yeah, you know, I thought they were great. Uh, but again, kind of like you said, we got another live performance on the stage, right? Um, you know, we got a live performance on the band too, which was the Woodstock one. And, you know, like that's, that's super cool and stuff. But, and especially because it's a bootleg that we already have too. And then the mixing of it was kind of weird. Like, I don't know, I don't want to sound like I'm trashing on it, but I have no idea what was going on on that mix of Rag Mama Rag at the beginning. Like I actually stopped what I was doing. It was like, what's going on here but you know kind of like Allison said it, I just wish they maybe organized it differently like even outtakes would have been better because um, we do we have so many live performances which is awesome because they're great live they're better live I am not knocking that um, but something you know a little bit different might have been you know might have been nice I, I agree I think I made a point when they first announced this and the bonuses on it that they really dropped the ball compared to say the dead or even the Beatles or even the stones who, you know, some it's been a little bit of a mixed bag with the stones, but they throw everything at the wall, all the studio outtakes. And this has always kind of been a criticism. They're still very guarded and they gatekeep the, what the fans I think actually want. You're spending $150 for the, like the deluxe box set. And this is all you're really getting. And like you get a picture book and stuff like so like cool. But I think I'm 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 not really buying it for the picture book. Uh, I'm buying it for the music first and foremost. And like I can find this bootleg online. There's obviously a little bit better clarity here, but it's not something that is is overly great. And then I also find that instrumentals they added like they have the life is a carnival and the volcano instrumental cool but like it's not really worth 150 bucks uh to add two instrumentals so even even the dylan box sets dylan who himself is a very guarded person and a guarded artist is putting like those box sets have a lot of stuff on them yeah like do you do you guys have like a theory as to why do you think it's because robbie is like super protective of like kind of keeping that mystique 
but then it's like, well, B- Dylan's the the master of mistake, like, but he's doing it. So, do, do you have a theory as to why? Like, I, I it perplexes me a little bit. You know, I think that's a great question. Um, I kind of I, I would be inclined to agree with the fact that maybe Robbie just wants to kind of keep that mystique, um, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work well if that's the goal because then it just kind of seems like okay, well, what are you, what are you hiding? Basically, you know, not that, you know, they're hiding anything, but like, what, what are you not wanting to share that, you know, you just keep kind of giving us the same things. And like you said, and, and Allison mentioned too, like Bob Dylan is the king of mystique. Bob Dylan has given us more, you know, kind of exciting band content than the band actually has in these releases. Wow. Um, and that's troubling. That's, that's, that's a good take. That's a that's a that's the quote of the episode, I think, right there. My theory is, and this is gonna sound, I don't know, this is gonna sound a little terrible, but I think that Robbie might fear the criticism a little bit too much. I think that he might fear the comparisons a little bit too much. Whereas somebody somebody like Bob Dylan like does not care. Like is not gonna care that people are gonna stack up the box sets and be like, oh well, why didn't he do this, that, and the other thing? Um, not that Robbie Robertson necessarily cares fully like what the critics say, but I just feel like it would be this conversation necessarily that he doesn't want to be as much of a part of, mm. as opposed to somebody like Dylan, who is really far removed from that kind of thing. Right. That's that's interesting. Um, I want to bring up one more point and get your guys' thoughts on this too. So when Robbie was doing some press for this, uh, I think you mentioned it too, Allison. Like he, he's like, throw out what you know and just take it and run with it and he's also talked about and he this isn't the first time he's dropped this line but he's always said like this is how it was supposed to be heard i always find that's kind of like a that kind of pisses me off because it's like well then why didn't you make it sound like that to begin with you know so there's that he dropped that line again and i take issue with it because of a lot of the things that we're critiquing on this there's no way they would have drum sampled over Levon's dead body. They would have drum, which they did, um, and <laughs> and there's no way they would have used reverb to that extent on this, amongst other things. Do we buy this line of like this is how it really should have sound, or is that just something to get people to go out and buy the record? I mean, I don't know if I necessarily buy. He also has said, you know, that like at the time they really didn't have a single clue what they were making with those tapes and where those tapes were even going or how that was going to end up or like what the whole deal was. So how could he have possibly known (laughs) that this is what it was supposed to sound like? Yeah, I I agree with that. I find that line kind of aggravating too, because it's like, well, you as one person are now saying that this is what you know, the entire five people intended this to sound like, um, you know, it it just, it just feels like part of a, of a pattern of kind of a retroactive fitting of a narrative. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I I get the idea of, okay, you know, it's better if you maybe go into this, not trying to compare it to the original cahoots and just taking it as its own thing. Like, I also appreciate that sentiment. Um, You know, I'm not going to, not necessarily going to knock him for that, but again, acting like this is the this is the supreme cahoots seems like a little, I don't know. It's like a little bit of a slap in the face. Yeah. I think that's something that we have to think about too. And people are probably going to mention it. Well, first of all, you're probably going to get fiery DMs from people because we said something that maybe was not in line with uh, Robbie's opinion. Um, But uh, 
I don't want people to think, at least in my opinion, that I want the remaster to sound exactly like the original because that's not my intention or my thought. I want it to sound different because it's not replacing, it's an addition. I guess in closing here, are we going to recommend this album? I think we've said some good things and some bad things. Are we recommending this album from like a listening standpoint, from somebody going out and buying it on vinyl or, or not? Like, what do we think? What are our final words on Cahoots as a whole? I mean, I think I would say that I, I can't sit here and say that I would recommend like, yes, you should go out and buy the full deluxe version and spin the whole thing on vinyl and do the whole nine yards. I can't say that. But I, I would say, you know, like, oh, you should you should check out the version of 4% Phantomine that's on it. And there's a couple of other things on there that are really, you know, like worthy of kind of picking and choosing. Um, but I would say for... I mean, if we're talking about that kind of price tag, I, I don't necessarily think it's worth it for that whole thing. And I especially don't think it, you know, especially for people who are so already like into the original Cahoots album, they aren't necessarily going to find that it lives up to their standards per se. You know, I kind of the, kind of the same thing again, as Allison said, you know, I don't necessarily think if you already love the original Cahoots album, probably just stick with that. Like, it's interesting to hear you know, some of the updated versions. Um, and again, you know, if there's, if you're a big fan of Richard or Rick in particular, I think you'll enjoy the ways that their vocals really shine um, on this in the remix. Um, and, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's good for completionists. You know, mm. you just want to kind of hear, hear these songs in different ways. And I think that's, that's always worthwhile. So, you know, it just kind of is my final thought on that. I just commending everybody for the effort that they did put into it, you know, and, and Robbie continuing to make sure that people are still listening to the band, I, I think is something that he does deserve credit for. And the fact that he's still, still involved in making sure that this is getting out there. I am appreciative to him for that. That's a great point and a good positive way to end it off. I'll turn the floor over to you guys. Allison, where can people find you online? Uh, or if you have anything that you want people to check out that you've been working on, um, the floor is yours. Oh, yeah, I definitely want people to know where they can find me. <laughs> um, I am at AllisonRap22 on Twitter. Um, I am a writer over at Ultimate Classic Rock, where we cover a lot of stuff about the band and everybody else in that in that world. So um, you can come check out my writing there. Brianna, uh, I know a lot of our listeners know you, but uh, the floor is yours. Maybe plug that Cahoots article, too. It's pretty awesome. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so any of you who are listening who already know me uh, likely know me from researching and curating the Richard Manuel archive on Twitter uh, devoted to the life and legacy of Richard Manuel. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at Manual Archive. Uh, we also have a page on Medium um, where I write some articles about Richard and about different things. Um, and I did write an article on Cahoots a couple months ago uh, that essentially turned into a, a defense of Cahoots, which is what's what started my crusade on twitter uh but yeah so check that out definitely and, and follow the archive well thank you both um for coming on i hope a lot of people you know take something for the conversation go out and listen to it i encourage everybody to have their own opinion that's the best thing about this that everybody can go out and listen and have their own opinion and uh you know interact with us online uh especially if it's not anger because we get enough of that in our world as it is. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you both again for coming on. Well, I hope you all enjoyed 
our roundtable discussion of the 50th anniversary reissue of Cahoots. Like our awesome yes set at the end, you can find them online. I will also include the links to their work and where you can find them in the show notes for this podcast episode. I also want to take a moment to also remember Rick Danko, whose death on December 10th coincided with the re-release of Cahoots. Um, It's been many years at this point since Rick has passed, but I think with Cahoots, you really get a sense of the amazing musician that Rick Danko was and uh, the influence that he has on bass and singing and rock music. So we miss Rick Danko, uh, but, uh, you know, we have his music to remember him by. If you want to follow uh, the podcast online, you can do so. Finding us at The Band Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let me know what you guys think of Cahoots Online, and we'll see you next time.